Hello everyone, welcome. My name is Ian. I'm one of the pastors here at Common Ground and along with Laura, my wife and an amazing eldership team, we give leadership to Rondebosch PM. And just a warm welcome to everyone joining us from across the city, Common Grounders, non-Common Grounders, and I know that there are even people dialing in from all over the world. So just a warm welcome. It's great to be together today. So today is only the second time I get to celebrate Father's Day as a father to, with little Layla Grace, our, our daughter. And the last time I was with you, uh, I told the story of how she was shaking the gate, desperate to go out, and we weren't allowed to leave the house. But now, new restrictions, we're able to walk, and basically the first word out of Layla's mouth every morning is out, out, out. And we as a family are just really learning to enjoy things that we used to take for granted, like walks to the park and just extended family time together. We're really enjoying that. Uh, in, in this time and in this moment, something we've learned. Now, we've been going through Mark as a church, and it's been an incredible journey of learning what it is to be with Jesus, to hear the words of Jesus, to be formed by the words of Jesus, to be in the presence of Jesus. And it's just been a great journey through the, the book of Mark. And today, we're going to be continuing that journey in the book of Mark. And as we do, we're going to see this encounter between the disciples and Jesus speak to two universal realities. Uh, I pretty confident that every human that has ever existed has experienced these two realities, at least the first one, definitely. I don't think there's a human in the world who's, who's lived who hasn't experienced this first um, thing, and that is fear. Fear is a universal experience that almost every human, most all humans have experienced. In fact, if I had to ask you the question, what is the thing you fear most? You would probably have an answer to that question. You probably would have considered and given it some thought. And in this time of corona, we are experiencing fear like never before. There's a universal reality to our fear. We're living in a unique time. And in our time and generation, we're having a sense or an experience of fear that goes not just in a group of people, but across the whole world. And not only has corona reached wide across the world, but it's also reached quite deeply into things that we've trusted and things we thought were immovable, things we thought were unshakable. Corona's shaken and moved. And we, as a people and a generation and in time, are, are experiencing unprecedented levels of fear and loss of control. And so as we dive into this encounter with Jesus and his disciples, we're going to see what he has to say about fear. And then the second thing, uh, I would also argue that Pretty much no human has probably lived their life and not asked this question at least once in their life. And that is, is there a God? Or who is God? And what I found as a pastor and in my own life and my own experience is that these two things, these two universal experiences often go hand in hand. That as fear increases and we, we lose a sense of control or we come face to face with our own vulnerability, that we find ourselves asking that question, who is God? And that's exactly what's going to happen in our text today is the disciples and Jesus are going to have an encounter that induces fear in the disciples. And as they experience great fear, they're going to find themselves asking this question, who is God? And as we unpack it, what we're going to see is that for Christ followers who have a relationship with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus has a profound impact on the things that cause us fear. That our relationship with Jesus really does affect very real things in our lives, including our emotions, including something as deep and real as the things that bring fear. I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into our text for today. Father, we love you, we trust you, we rest in you. God, as we open up your word and as we come to you, Jesus, we pray that we would encounter you. God, in this moment, would you pour out your spirit wherever we are and help us to hear your words and to understand what it is you want to say to us today. And I pray, Jesus, that your words today would have a profound impact on the way that we experience fear in our lives. 
God, we need you, we love you, we rest in you. Speak to us, we pray. Let's read together. Mark 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care? We are perishing. And he woke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So what I want to do now is just give us a bit of context to what we've just read and Over the last two weeks, Jesus has been speaking to us in parables. We had Louise two weeks ago and Paul and Lee last week unpacking some stories that Jesus told. And at the heart of these stories was Jesus trying to help us make sense of the kingdom and what he's doing in this world through his kingdom and what his kingdom is going to be about. And he's used stories to try and help people understand. But through these stories, Jesus has been concerned and asking his disciples and the crowds, are you hearing? Are you understanding? Are you seeing what I'm talking about? Are you understanding what I'm talking about? And what we're about to do is transition. What has happened is we've transitioned away from parables about the kingdom to an encounter that his disciples are going to have with Jesus in the intimacy of a boat in a storm. And Jesus in this moment is going to do something. He's going to show them and help them understand so much of what he's been trying to tell them in the parables. What I love about this moment is how Mark accounts for it, that he makes it so clear that we've moved away from parables to an experience that him and the disciples had with Jesus as he gives us wonderful details about this encounter, details that allow us to almost imagine ourselves there. He says that it's evening, that it's getting dark, the sun is set, that they push off on the very boat that Jesus has been preaching from and there are other boats around them. Tells us about a pillow in the stern of the ship that Jesus decides to go and sleep on. In the storm, he talks about the great wind. He talks about the waves lapping in over the edge of the boat and filling up the boat. You can almost feel the fear that they're experiencing. And in this moment, in this encounter that Jesus has with his disciples, we are going to learn what it means to follow him. But we're going to learn specifically what it means to follow him in relationship to storms. And I think there are three things that we're going to learn. The first one being follow Jesus in the storm. The second one, trust Jesus in the storm. And finally, Fear Jesus in the storm. Let's look at that first one together. As I was reading this, this story, this eyewitness account of what happened between Jesus and his disciples, I was struck by the reality that it was obedience to Jesus that led the disciples into the storm. Look at verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowds, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. You see, they have done what Jesus has asked them to do. They have gone where Jesus has asked them to go. And what this has meant for them is they find themselves in the middle of a storm. You see, the first thing we learn about what it means to follow Jesus from this encounter with Jesus is that following Jesus does not mean that you won't have storms in your life. It means you probably will. And this is a mistake that the disciples would make regularly as Jesus is talking about the coming kingdom and how it might start off small, but it's going to be great one day. They make the mistake of thinking that this is about conquest and victory. They think that the kingdom of God is going to dismantle the Roman Empire and they align themselves to Jesus with a sense of not storms, but victory. 
And time and time again, Jesus is having to teach them, no, that's not what the kingdom's gonna be like. It escalates to a point in the gospels where Peter, as Jesus speaks about the cross, Peter goes, no, you can't go to the cross. That's, that's not what the kingdom is about. And I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in the lives of so many people that have pastored that we can make this mistake. We think that coming to Jesus is a strategy for avoiding storms. And we all have a healthy desire to want to avoid storms. But what we learn here is that coming to Jesus and following Jesus is not a good strategy for avoiding storms. But in following Jesus, we probably will experience storms. And this is a reality that we probably need to come to terms with early on in our following of Jesus. If we don't come to terms with this, it can hurt us. We need to settle this early on because if the storms come and we don't expect them, we'll find ourselves confused by the storm. Again, in my own life and as a pastor, I've seen this and it kind of plays out in two major ways. The first one is we can find ourselves asking the question, what have I done wrong? Why am I being punished? Am I doing enough in my walk with God? What is God trying to do? And we can blame ourselves for the storm in our life. And this is, this is tragic because it adds burden to burden. The storm has come and now we add more burden to that. The second thing, that it can cause us to do is the, the horrible pain of missed expectations. If our expectations is that Jesus is a way to get away from storms, when the storms come, what we'll find ourselves doing is saying, uh, Jesus, this is not what I signed up for. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to something else. I'm going to figure out another way, another strategy for avoiding storms. This is not what I signed up for. And this is incredibly painful and even more painful when the storm that we experience is something that we dread deeply. You see, so many of the disciples were fishermen and storms out on that lake would have been something that they would dread. They would have had a healthy fear of the weather, knowing that it is something that they can't control, something out of their control and that can cause real devastation. They know that when the storms come and ships sink, that fishing villages lose husbands and lose sons. And so for them, this is something that they would have dread. I grew up in Hout Bay and um, so shout out to South Penn and village living. And as I grew up in Hape, there's a fishing village in Hape and a little fishing harbor. And we'd watch the ships go out. And whenever a storm came, you'd see those ships return very quickly back to harbor. Also had a friend who, who decided to, whose father decided to take them on a round the world trip on a yacht. And they bought a yacht and they would go out and practice runs. And whenever there was a storm, they would do anything they could to avoid that weather. If it meant a shorter practice trip or a longer one to avoid the storm, that's what they'd do. You see, fishermen and people who know the sea and know the weather know to respect it. And this would have been a great fear of theirs. And here Jesus has them, not through disobedience, but through obedience in the middle of a storm. You see, if we don't settle this early on in our walk with Jesus, at best we'll be confused and hurt. And at worst we'll find ourselves walking away from our faith. And what Jesus is saying is that when you follow me, expect storms. In fact, your obedience to me may lead you right into storms. I've shared this a few times since it happened and I was a bit hesitant to share it again uh, today, but I feel like it's so appropriate to, to show that I, I have experienced something of storms and this isn't um, theory to me. And on the 8th of November last year, my 33-year-old brother, Ali, passed away tragically and it's been the roughest of seas for my family and I and we really are living in the, the storm of that reality and still coming to terms with it and I am so grateful 
that in this moment where my mom this past Monday celebrated her first birthday without him and my dad is celebrating today a Father's Day without him, his first one. And in two weeks, we're going to celebrate his birthday for the first time without him. I am so grateful that by the grace of God, Jesus helped me settle the reality that storms will come for those who follow him. And I've been able to lean into Jesus, not run from him. I haven't added burden to burden, but I've been able to press into him because he settled this early on in my life, that storms come even for those who are obedient to Jesus. And what I've come to learn in this time and in this season is that Jesus doesn't waste the storm. Jesus is incredibly powerful in the storm and he doesn't waste storms in our lives. With Jesus, storms are not pointless or meaningless. They don't come with no reference to anything. Jesus, we can know, is doing something in the storms in our life. And as we track with the disciples now, we're going to see that Jesus is going to do something wonderful in them. He's going to reveal something about their heart and he's going to reveal something about himself that they desperately need to see. And I've experienced Jesus do this in my own heart, not waste the storm, but use it to reveal something about my heart and to teach me things about him that I would have no other way of learning. But to put it simply, our first point is this, that the first thing we learn about following Jesus is to expect storms in our life. And that sometimes those storms come because of our obedience to Jesus. Let's look at the second thing, trust Jesus in the storm. This moment that the disciples are experiencing is a fearful storm. These are hardened fishermen from generations of fishing. These are not people who would have gotten onto the boat, land lovers who got onto the boat, experienced a bit of swell and started to panic and feel a bit seasick. No, these were people who knew what it was to experience the storm. Look at verse 37. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So you see here that these fishermen know the weather. They see the storm and they know that they are completely out of control. And if, if this weather continues the way it is, that their ship will sink and they will perish. This is not illegitimate fear. This is real fear and, a, and an incredibly fearful moment for them that they're living through. And, all, and in this moment, as they, they experience how out of control they are, all they have to do, all they can do is turn to a sleeping Jesus. Verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I love that phrase, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It shows their heart. It shows what's most important to them in that moment, in the storm, in real fear, in the moment of their greatest fear. What's happening is they are struggling to trust if Jesus even cares for them. And what I've learned is that these are disciples who, who have walked with Jesus. They've heard teachings about the kingdom. They've seen his power and miracles. And, and right now, all their intellectual, all their theological conversations, debates and thoughts all boil down to one question, does he care? And I've learned so often that when we experience great fear in our life, it all boils down to one question, does he care about me? And does he care about my life? As I've said, I've pastor people through stuff and I've experienced some things in my life and I think of people who have deep longings and the fear that comes with deep longing God will you provide will you say yes to this thing I think of people who long to be married and there can be a fear God will you provide 
I think of people who are uh, longing to fall pregnant and struggling to fall pregnant. La and I have our own journey of four and a half years of struggling with infertility. And we know the month-on-month pain of that and the fear that it produces God. And the questions, God, do you care? Why not us? Why are you not doing it? And some storms come to an end and we're so grateful for the little grace in our lives. I know of other people who've experienced great painful loss, family members, jobs, business, dreams. And in this time of Corona, these things are being compounded on top of each other and people are experiencing multiples of these things that produce fear. And it can create a real sense of insecurity and loss of control in our lives. I think of people struggling with the evils in the world and wondering, God, will you ever bring justice? And in these moments, these very real moments where people experience legitimate fear, all our theological, intellectual arguments about God so often just boil down to this question, does he care? You see, it's really hard to trust Jesus in the storm if you don't know if he cares about you. And the answer to this question is yes, he does care. And it's answered in two ways. The first way that it's answered is that he is in the boat on a pillow with them. I love this picture. It is such a beautiful picture of the humanity of Jesus. He's been teaching all day. He's exhausted. He's tired. The reason they set out on the boat was to get some rest. And there he is asleep on a pillow. I can't think of anything more vulnerable than being curled up on a pillow in a boat. And in this moment, we see his humanity. We see the reality that the creator of the universe stepped out of heaven and was willing to be in the boat on a pillow. In this moment, we see that he was fully human. He knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to be in the storm. He knows what it is to be tired. And we can relate and he can relate to us. Jesus would say to us, I care because I know what it is to be in the storm. I care because I know what it is to suffer. I am with you in the boat. And the second way that we know Jesus cares is that we know his very, his very mission on the earth, all the teaching that he's been doing about the kingdom of God and everything he's trying to get them to understand will culminate in a cross that Jesus would work, walk a dusty road of ridicule and poverty and shame towards a cross where he would be accused of things that he did not do that he alone was worthy to go to the cross, but he did not deserve the cross. And he chooses to go there out of a deep and concern, not for friends, but for enemies. Not for the worthy, but for the unworthy. And he would go there to make the unworthy worthy. He would go there to make enemies, sons and daughters. And he would experience the great shame and burden of the cross so that he could invite us into real, vibrant, alive relationship with him. So that not only would we know that he cares, but that we could experience his care as he pours out his spirit into our lives. Sinclair Ferguson, a theologian and preacher says this, This moment of the disciples asking if Jesus cared was the cruelest accusation ever laid against Jesus. We can accuse Jesus of many things, but one thing is taken off the table by the cross. So we can never accuse him of not caring for us. See, asking this question in the storm, does Jesus care, will reveal something about our hearts, will reveal how deeply we are clinging to the cross of Christ how deeply the reality of it has gripped our hearts. You see, we may not know why the storm is here, but we know that it's not because he does not care. And as I said earlier, Jesus does not waste a storm. 
And it's been my experience that in the storm, Jesus so often uses the storm to reveal things about our own hearts. And it's so easy in storms to, to look outward and to blame and experience doubt and so hard to look at our own hearts and go, what is going on here? You see, when things are going really well, it's hard to know, are we trusting in Jesus or are we just trusting in the reality that things are going well? I wonder if Jesus, as he curled up on the pillow, knowing the storm was coming, wondered how long will it take for them to panic and wake me up? And Jesus is about to show them that this question that they ask, does he care, might be the wrong question to be asking in a storm. Verse 40 says this, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Jesus moves towards them and says to them, I I just want to give you the right question to ask in the storm. And the right question to ask in the storm is, why are you so afraid? And they might go, Jesus, are you disconnected from reality? This is a very real reason to be afraid. We are terrified that we're going to perish. We're terrified that this boat is going to sink. Are you disconnected from reality? How can you ask us, why are we so afraid? But maybe this very question that Jesus is telling them to ask in this moment is revealing to them that they are disconnected from reality, that they're the ones not seeing what's going on. They're the ones who are missing what they need to see to fully understand reality and understand the situation. And so Jesus moves towards him and says, why are you so afraid? And so as Christ follows, when we find ourselves in moments that cause us very real fear, Jesus would coach us and say to us, followers of Jesus, we need to ask ourselves the question, why are we so afraid? Not a navel-gazing kind of introspection, but rather an honest assessment of our heart and soul. What am I holding on to? What am I not trusting Jesus for? What am I trying to achieve in my own strength? Why have I stopped believing that Jesus cares? What about Jesus am I not seeing? Paul Tripp says this so pastorally. He says, some Christians allow themselves to experience far too much fear for people who know Jesus. I've been telling people that the last year and a half, it feels like Jesus has been doing a deep heart work in me through storms and it sucks and it hurts and at times you can go god why why the storm and i've come to learn that jesus doesn't waste storms he uses them to really reveal what's going on in our hearts and the reason that he does that is because he loves me enough to do it so jesus would speak to the pharisees and he would say you're like whitewashed tombs on the outside you're sparkly but on the inside you're rotten And the reason that you are that way is because you're blind to what's going on in your own heart and you're blind to who I am. And I've come to learn over the last year and a half plus of going through some storms that Jesus loves me enough to not leave me blind, but that he loves me enough to use a storm to really reveal to me what's going on in my heart. And as he does, he deals with all the blindness and hypocrisy and faithlessness that exists there, things that will hurt me over time things that will drive a distance between me and him and real intimacy and relationship with him. And that Jesus loves me enough to even use storms to really reveal to me what's going on in my heart. And as he's done this over time, it it hasn't always been pleasant, but I'm starting to taste and experience some of the fruit of his work where there's deeper levels of trust, there's deeper levels of hope, there's deeper levels of courage in him where I have experienced my vulnerability and lack of control. I've seen his power at work. And in these moments, uh, I find joy and peace 
remain, whether the storm is there or whether it's sunny weather. Corrie ten Boom says this, perhaps only when human effort has done its best and failed would God's power alone be free to work. Incredibly powerful that sometimes we need the storm to see God's power at work in our lives and in our hearts. What I want us to see from this encounter with Jesus on this point is that our fear can be an indicator of our depth of trust, either in Jesus or ourselves. And Jesus calls us, no matter how dark and difficult and scary moments in life get, he would simply say this to us, I care deeply about you. Do you trust me? And then finally, fear Jesus in the storm. Verse 40 says this, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see what Jesus is doing in this moment is he goes, listen, I'm going to get you to ask the right question. Why are you so afraid? And that's going to help do some work in your heart. But now what he's doing is he's showing them that their issue isn't actually a fear issue, but a faith issue. And he goes on to reveal why it's a faith issue. He goes on to show them something about himself that they were not seeing. Verse 39, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. You see, even though these were disciples who were deeply committed to Jesus and they'd been following him, they needed a storm to truly see who Jesus was. A moment in their lives where their power could not save them. And only the power of Jesus, being who he said he, he is, could save them. And so Jesus reveals his power to them. And he gets up and he rebukes the wind. And theologians say that this moment is strong language. It could be uh, better translated, he muzzled the wind. And he says to the sea, he commands the sea, peace, be still. You see what's happened here? The one on the pillow who is in the storm with us, who relates and knows what it is to suffer, becomes the one who wakes up, gets up and commands the oceans, commands the sea, commands the weather, the very thing that they feared most, he reveals to them are servants of him and they must obey. And in this moment, something happens to the disciples. In this moment, something changes in the hearts of the disciples as they see Jesus for who he is, the one who commands the sea and the wind. Verse 41, and they were filled with great fear. The disciples in a moment are crying out, Jesus, we're perishing, do you not care? And you think that they can't experience any more fear than what they're experiencing. But in this moment, as they encounter Jesus for who he truly is, and they start to see him for who he is, their fear is replaced by great fear. What they once feared most is suddenly pushed aside and suddenly they find great fear rising up in their hearts. And in this moment, we learn that not all fear is bad. In fact, it is good to fear fearful things. And what we're talking about is not a blindness where we just pretend that we're not afraid and we push fear down and we bury our heads in the sand and pretend we're not afraid. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is an encounter with the living creator of the universe, revealing himself in such a way that all fear is reprioritized in our lives. And suddenly that which was our greatest fear is surpassed by great fear in the one who controls all things. That's what's happening here. Verse 41, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey them? In this moment, 
what starts to happen in them is they encounter Jesus for who he really is, is they start to believe. They start to see. They start to ask the question, who is God? And in many ways, Jesus has answered that question for them as he commands the storm to be still. Something has happened in them. You see, faith, the faith issue, their their fear issue, which is actually a faith issue, is not that they now need to generate faith within themselves. No, the issue was that they weren't seeing Jesus for who he really was. But when you encounter Jesus for who he is, what happens is faith is birthed in us. Suddenly we see him for who he is. There's something more nuanced going on here in the book of Mark, and I don't have time to get into it, but different words are used for fear here. And, and what, when he speaks of great fear, he's, he's alluding to this idea of awe and wonder, to reverence. And I've learned in my own life that the only difference between fear and awe or reverence for something is whether I feel safe or not. One of my favorite things is to go to the rocks in Pringle Bay. There's a beautiful spot at the end of Pringle Bay where the rocks are pretty much exposed to the ocean. And the best time to go there is during or after a storm and the skies are dark and it's moody. And what happens is these huge waves, this huge swell comes in from the ocean and then it hits the rocks and it just explodes up into the sky, stories up into the sky. And what I find myself, when I behold that, when I see that, what I find happening in me is awe and wonder. This beautiful moment where the the power of the waves meets the steadfastness of the rocks and they explode together and you just see power. And I'm amazed. But what happens is ever so often I'm tempted to walk a bit closer and my awe and amazement and wonder at the power of the ocean and the steadfast of the rocks, at a certain point of walking towards them, changes to fear when I suddenly think that the ocean's power is orientated towards my harm. Which is why when we come face to face with the raw, sovereign power of Jesus to even command storms, we need to know that he cares. And when we know that Jesus cares, and we encounter him for who he truly is, what happens in that moment is awe and wonder, is faith. It's a moment where all our fears are suddenly pushed down to their right size as Jesus is lifted up and we see him for who he really is. An incredible thing would happen in the lives of these disciples. In this moment, they're sitting in a boat crying out, Jesus, we are perishing. Do you not care? By the end of their lives, what would happen is pretty much every single one of these disciples would experience a a painful death. And they've said, just deny that Jesus is who he says he is and you won't experience this death. And instead of that, they choose death. They go from from being men who go, Jesus, do you not care? We're perishing. To men who go, we are perishing. Jesus, you are worth it. You are worth it. Because they have seen him for who he is. It is, they, are worth it. No, they are no longer afraid of even losing their lives, but they see the worth in Jesus and that fear is pushed to the side. He is worth it. This is who they would become as they continue to walk with Jesus and listen to Jesus and become like Jesus. Many would face death with great courage, hope, as fear was correctly orientated in their life. They would see, and the reason that they would 
go to their graves this way is because they would have seen Jesus go to the cross. They would have seen Jesus raised in victory three days later. And in that moment, what Jesus was doing was calming the greatest storm that every human would face. You see, our greatest storms are not what happened in our lives necessarily. Our greatest storm is that of broken relationship between us and God. And very simply put, the Bible calls that sin, that, that we are in active rebellion against God, trying to live our lives in independence from God, and that that is the greatest storm. The thing that will overwhelm us is the fact that we are separated from God. And the reason for that is our sin. And it floods into our boat, and it threatens to sink us, not just in a moment, but for all eternity. And Jesus goes to a cross, and he endures the judgment of that cross, so that on the other side of it, when he is raised three days later, he could cry out against the enemies of God and sin, you are muzzled, be still. And he could declare peace. And anyone who, who, who is humble enough or anyone who sees Jesus for who he is can repent, which is simply to change our minds, to realize that we don't have what it takes in and of ourselves to live independent of God. And we can come to Jesus and we can accept his wonderful invitation of peace because he has silenced the greatest storm of sin and he has silenced the enemies of God and everything that could separate us from him. We're done. But I want to pause now. And I just want to say pastorally, one of my deep concerns is that people may, after a message like this, mishear what's being said and may feel shame for their fear. And that's not what this message is about. This message is not to cause us to feel shame for our fear. This message is to give us a place to take our fear. And for those of us who are Christ followers, we get to take that which we find most fearful and we get to go to a person, Jesus, who knows what it is to be in the boat in the storm. And we get to say, this is my fear. And Jesus would say to us as we do that, why are you so afraid? And the answer to that question is we need to see you, Jesus, for who you really are. It's not something you can do. It's something that we need to trust Jesus to do. So in this moment, as we go into time of singing, I want to encourage us to just pause and consider what things are causing fear in our life. I want us to ask ourselves the question, why are we so afraid? And then I want us to take that fear to Jesus and go, Jesus, help me to see you for who you really are. Would you pour out your spirit? Would you lift my eyes? And would you help me to fear that which is worthy of fear? And would this fear find its rightful place before you, the one who silences all storms? Let's do that now. And let's trust Jesus to work in our hearts and to deal with our fear.